0: Hi everyone, and welcome to episode number 9 of the Immigrants Live podcast, where we share stories of people who left their country to chase a better life. In this episode, I sat down with Jess. She left Wales to travel and explore the world, and in the last couple of years, she moved and worked in many countries, like US, China, and Australia. She's now in Canada, and because of the COVID, her changed a little bit. She will share her experience and tips on how to travel with a low budget, and the website to use to find a job before you leave your country. So please enjoy this episode with Jessica Thomas. Hey Jess, thanks for being here today. How are you?
1: No worries. I'm very well, thank you. How are you?
0: Pretty good, thanks. So where are you calling from? Or actually, where are you you right now?
1: Right now, I'm in Vancouver in Canada. So yeah, just enjoying a bit of the sunshine today.
0: Yeah, we had uh, some not very good weather so far, isn't it?
1: I know. I've not had the best of luck with the weather, but it's starting to get better. So fingers crossed. It sticks around for a while. I've heard good things about the Vancouver summers, so I'm hopeful.
0: And where are you originally from?
1: I'm originally from Cardiff in Wales in the UK.
0: Okay. Is like a, it's a, it's a city or is a town?
1: Uh, Cardiff's the capital city of Wales.
0: Oh, that's my ignorance in geography. Just so bad <laughs> at geography. I barely know where Wales is.
1: Well, um... So Wales is southwest of the UK. Okay. And it's about it's about a three, four hour drive from London.
0: Oh, okay, perfect. Okay. Thanks for the, the geography lesson.
1: <laughs> That's okay. A lot of people, when I say Wales, some people know exactly where it is and other people don't have any idea.
0: At what age did you leave? Did you leave your country?
1: Um, I left at uh, 25. So it's two years ago next month. Um, I left on my one-way ticket.
0: Why, why did you leave your country? Why did you decide to leave your country? Um,
1: so I've always enjoyed traveling. So I went first on my first solo travel when I was 21. And I went to Seattle for a few months to do a summer camp. And I've just always, always wanted to keep traveling. And I was going on two, three holidays a year. And when I got back, I was always just like, oh, I just want to, I want to keep, I want to keep going. Um, so I was looking at different opportunities and then an opportunity come up to teach English in China. And I just thought, you know what? I have nothing to lose. I wasn't in a place that I was super happy. So I thought, I'll just go for it. If I didn't enjoy it, I could go home. Um, But here we are two years later. And now I'm just making my way across the world.
0: Awesome. So walk me through your process. You left England. You went went to Seattle for a little bit, right?
1: Yeah. So I was 21. Um, I got offered a job to work at a summer camp in Seattle. So I went and did that for three months. And that was my first First solo trip away from the UK. I'd only ever traveled with other people prior. And um, it just gave me this sort of sense of freedom. I was able to do what I wanted, when I wanted. Um, So I got back home. Um, I got a better job, which gave me more money to do more traveling. And then I was just constantly on the go. Even got to the point my friends or anyone in work knew, if I had three or more days off from work, I would never be in the UK. I'd always be somewhere else in Europe, somewhere new. And I'd just be like, I would... Friday night, I'd finish work. I'd be on, a, be on a flight within a few hours. And then usually I'd get back Monday evening and back to work Tuesday just because I always wanted to be on the go, exploring new places, meeting new people. So yeah, and it just became the norm for me that if there was three or more days off from work, I was in another country.
0: Nice. And the fact that in Europe, you can fly from country to country like a super, usually it's pretty cheap, right?
1: Yeah, you can get them pretty cheap and pretty quick as well. So I remember this one time I finished work at 5 p.m. on a Friday and by 7 p.m. I was in Dublin having a, having a beer in the pub because <laughs> I just left work straight to the airport, 45-minute flight, and then I was in Dublin for the weekend.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Actually, I used to, when I was working in Italy, um, I had the chance to work on the Saturday and take a day off over the week, so I didn't have to take any time off. And I used to get, I used to get like a newsletter from Ryanair so when there was like okay. a free flight or so they call it free flight, but it was like super cheap. I would yes. just book it and take a day off. I would just tell my my boss, sorry, I won't be, I won't be <laughs> at work next week or whatever. And I just go just for a day, because it was super cheap. You can just get yeah. there and visit the city and blah blah blah. I come like back and come back at night, so you don't have even to spend accommodation. And exactly. The, and the cheapest one I got was 20 cents return to the to <laughs> Brussels, Milan, Brussels, 20 cents.
1: Oh, damn. That's pretty. Sh- we didn't get no 20 cents ones in UK. We used to get the, there's like the nine euro flight, nine euros yeah. to get like a one way flight. Um, so you used to do those quite often. And there was even one point me and a few of the girls I worked in a summer camp with. We wanted to have a little mini reunion, but I was in Cardiff. One was in Southampton and one was somewhere else. And it worked out cheaper for us to all fly out to Copenhagen. and meet in Copenhagen for a few days. Instead, they're trying to find somewhere in the UK to, to f- meet up just because the Ryanair flights were just so cheap. So, um, yeah, we just all on a Friday flew from different airports, met in Copenhagen for three days, and then went back to our respective airports on these like 20 euro flights with the Ryanair.
0: Yeah, so sometimes you're right. It was cheaper to fly in different, in different cities than actually go return. Once we have to go visit my friend in Poland... Every day, Milan, Frankfurt. We stayed there for a few hours in Frankfurt. Then we went to Poland. Then Poland, London, London back. It was for two of us, 70 euros for the old, for the old route.
1: That's like nothing. Exactly. It's just crazy. It's interesting how flights work. Even when I flew to, um, flew to Vancouver, I was coming from originally coming from Australia, but I, worked, but I wanted to do a bit of traveling beforehand. And there was a flight from Hong Kong to Vancouver direct, which I was going to get. But then it worked out cheaper that I could go to Taiwan for four days and get the, there was a connecting flight from Taiwan to Hong Kong. And then my original flight from Hong Kong to Canada. And I think even that connecting flight was like a hundred, $150 cheaper than just getting the one flight. <laughs> so the $150 I saved on the flight covered my three days in Taiwan. I was like, well, I'm not going to say no to three extra days somewhere to explore, the same price as what I'd be spending anyway.
0: No, exactly. Unless you have like a reason or I have to get there and back and whatever. I don't want to stop. But if you, exactly. if you have a chance and it's, as you said, if with the money, you can actually visit Taiwan. Okay, why not?
1: Yeah, you get the flexibility. It works out great.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right.
1: And it's just nice sometimes because sometimes you end up places you wouldn't normally think to go. And it's just, you have that little bit of time to explore and get a little taste And then you're like, oh, I could go back, although I hate it. So it's a nice little, little taste of flights sometimes.
0: Exactly. Yeah, you're right. Um, so going back to when, uh, when, you left, uh, when you left England. So let's go back. So you left England, you went to, to Seattle to, for, for the summer camp, and then you yeah. went back to England. And then you decide again to leave England because you had the opportunity to go to China, right?
1: Yeah, so four years passed, and I was just working away doing my little holidays. And every time I came back from my two, two three week holidays, there's never I always wanted to just still be going. So I was just looking at different opportunities and I was never really committing to much. And then, I don't know, something came up and I was like, oh, working in China, that could be different. That could be cool. And I just I don't know one. I think it was just in November and I was like, cool, I'll, I'll go for it. I applied and I got accepted to the course to teach in China. And then I just remember saying to my friends, I was like, guys, in August, i move into China. See you. Bye. And no one was surprised. No one was even shocked. They were like, yeah, that sounds about right. This is what we expect. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I applied in the November and then the August. I got my I got my little travels going. I ended up taking a 16 hour bus from London to Belgium. There was, a, there was a direct flight from Belgium to Beijing that was cheaper than flying from London. So <laughs> this this 16-hour coach ride, ends up in B- Belgium airport for like six hours, and then one-way flight to Beijing. And then before I knew it, I was in the crazy, crazy land of China.
0: Tell me more about that, because I just interviewed, on the previous episode, I interviewed a guy that went from uh, uh, the Seychelles, the islands, to, to Beijing, with speaking no Chinese at all. And yep. for him it was like a, such a big shock. To get there, and like the cultural shock was just like so big. It was just crazy.
1: Yeah, everything is so different. And um, yeah, the first sort of. So I was there for six months altogether. The first two three months, I was still it's still a massive adjustment. Obviously, it's the culture, the food, the language. Just everything is complete opposite, and it does take a big, big adjustment to get used to. Because you know it's a lot, especially when you're on your own as well. There's a there's a lot to get used to. But I, I loved it. And I, anyone I speak to knows that I love China. I would live in China forever. Um, the people are some of the nicest, kindest people I met. Although they're all a little bit crazy. And sometimes I always think they're shouting at each other. But everyone's super friendly. Um, the food, as long as you um, are open-minded, I'm not going to lie, some of the things I ate were pretty questionable. But I think you've just got to go in and just go for it. Throw yourself in at the deep end. Just try everything because either it might be a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that you're going to be there and you don't want to leave with the regrets thinking, oh, I wish I'd done this, wish I'd done that. Um, So yeah, just go in, jump into it. Google Translate was my best friend. (laughs) (laughs) I tried tried so hard to learn some Mandarin and I was so bad. Um, So everything was via Google Translate. But even if I was stuck, people were mostly always happy to try and help. Um, so yeah, I would I would say it to everyone. I was like, everyone needs to go. But I also try to say to spend more than a few weeks there because it is such a vast country. And just go into sort of Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou. It is They are beautiful cities, but you're not going to get the experience because I think they are trying to cater a lot for tourists. Um, so some of my best experience were just getting trains a few hours into little cities. I went to Guilin, a little city called Guilin, and it was really lovely. And it's more authentic, more genuine because they haven't adapted to the Western world as much. And it's just what you expect. There's all these little Chinese stores, like people on their streets with their little street carts, and it's just what you think of when you're thinking of old-style China. And they were my best experiences. So I definitely recommend people to go out of their little bubble and go and try and explore places they wouldn't usually go to, just because. The memories you get are just some of the best memories I've got from my travels altogether.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. But how easy it was it to move around without the language, though? It was just, it was easy enough to use Google?
1: Yeah, Google, so Google's very, Google's very hit and miss, obviously, because they have the firewall. And for Google, I think you did need to have a VPN to override that. And even then, sometimes the Google, Google information wasn't up to date. Um, so they do have like a Chinese version, which is called Bing. Bing, mm-hmm. I think it was. And then, but the only difficulty with that, everything on there was in Chinese. And it, so um, it was always a little bit easy because we had a few people, a few Chinese friends that would help us. Um, but getting around is pretty simple. The train stations. When the first time was terrifying because it was my the first train station I went to was in Beijing. It was huge. There's hundreds of people. Everything's very confusing and it's a lot of noise. Um, But I think once you overcome the first one, it just gets a little bit easier each time. And as long as you're aware. So when I lived in Guangzhou, me and a few friends were going to an ice hockey game in Shenzhen. And um, we didn't realize for the trains that you had to get there, pick up your tickets, show your passports, go through security. And um, I think the weekend we would go in might have been a holiday weekend. There was just thousands of people in this one place. And we had to get through all this. And I think we got there with 30 minutes before our train thinking we were on time. It's cool. We got No, we ended up having to sprint through the train station. So We found out which, um, which platform we were going to. And it was a case of everyone run for the train because we had like two minutes to get there. Run for the train. If you make it, great. We'll see you in Shenzhen. If you don't make it, we'll see you when you get back. Because we couldn't just leisurely walk. So there's just four of us sprinting through this train station. Every Chinese person has a suitcase. They're trying to like leap over these suitcases, not take anyone out. And it was the middle of August. It was super hot and humid. (laughs) So we we all made it to the train, but we were just absolute messes. I think we were all sweating head to toe. It was just super humid. But, um, yeah, so after that first couple of times, it got a little bit easier. We established to get there with plenty of time to make sure that we weren't rushing again. And then, so yeah, I think as long as you remember the experiences and remember to get there early at the train stations, have your passport, otherwise you can't get on, and then little things. The traveling part wasn't so difficult.
0: Okay. Yeah, because everything is written in Chinese. There's no is there a, or there's a translation in uh, in English or in. Uh... Um,
1: some of the stuff I think for the bigger cities like Beijing, Shanghai, there were some translations. I think obviously that's where the majority of tourists go to. Um, out in the little cities, there was less. There was less of that, so it was kind of. A lot of the times, I was just trying to match up the symbols. Like if I had my train ticket, I'd be like, "That looks that looks about right." I'll just go on that train. Um, But usually, as I said, a lot of the people there were super helpful. So even if they couldn't speak the language, if you sort of showed them your ticket and you kind of like lost look, like "Eh," they would point you in the right direction. So um, it wasn't too difficult to find help when needed. And I think more and more people there are starting to learn English anyway. So it might be broken, but you can kind of have a conversation and get you can get through you can get through with just the broken English and Google Translate at times.
0: Okay, yeah, that's pretty much what I did when I went to Japan. Same kind of thing. <laughs> it was just even what you said that looking at the symbols and makes like, oh yeah, that's it looks the same the same thing. It must <laughs> be that one.
1: Good. Just hope for the best. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. But yes, even in, even in Japan, people are super friendly, super polite, and they usually help you out anyway. Yeah.
1: So. I think as long as you find the right person to help you, like a few people i I tried to get help from, they were just like, no, and walk away. But the majority of people I asked were pretty, pretty out to help. So it's always, always a good thing to find that one person. <laughs> yeah.
0: And how from China, did you move to to Canada?
1: So after China, I actually went down to Australia for a year first. Um, so I'm from China to Australia. I spent a year um, living and traveling through Australia. And then after Australia is when I came to Canada via Singapore and Hong Kong.
0: Okay. So how long did you stay in China
1: for? China, I stayed for six months.
0: Okay. Six months, then Australia for a year. Um, yeah. Was there the same thing that you went to China for? Did you get a job? You, did you already have a job when you went to Australia or You just went no, there?
1: So Australia, I just got the one-year working visa. So it was kind of like my China backup. If I didn't enjoy China, I was going to go straight to Australia because I was I just was determined not to go back to the UK. So I was like, I'll try anything first. Um, so I did my six months in China and I, I was going to stay in China longer. Um, but due to visa reasons, it wasn't wasn't a viable option. So I went down to Australia and um, I ended up spending nine months around Australia, au pairing for some families in Melbourne and Perth. And then spent the other sort of three months traveling through the outback and up the East Coast. And kind of, yeah, just traveled all over Australia, really.
0: So it was like a traveling around, finding a job here and there just to make yeah, more money just and just move jobs.
1: on. Yeah, it was very much just, I didn't want a proper job. I didn't want to be a full, full-blown adult. I just wanted to kind of travel and breeze by, do what I wanted. So I got little jobs. Au pairing was great because even though it's not a proper job, um, I lived with families. So they pay, like covered my rent and food and then I helped look after their children. So even though it wasn't getting paid, it saved so much money on rent, accommodation and food expenditure that I didn't have to find a 40-hour job to cover those costs. So that was great. And I saved so much money doing that. And I'd recommend it to sort of anyone looking to travel Australia because it's such a huge thing over there because there are so many people that need it. And it just it just gives you that. Little sort of buffer that you don't have to worry because I did meet a lot of travelers in Australia that found it difficult to find jobs at times, and um, it was nice not to have that extra stress because moving to another country is stressful anyway. Yeah, um, so to take that little element away, which just meant it a bit more relaxed and you could enjoy it a bit more for myself, anyway. I know other people are different, but my recommendation would be to do it that way.
0: And hey, what was that called?
1: Oh, parents, it a U. And then B-A-I-R-I-N-G, O-Pairing.
0: Okay. Because yeah. another thing that I heard a lot of people doing when uh, I was staying in hostels in New Zealand, people were just working the hostels. So mm. they were helping the hostel, I don't know, cleaning or do, I don't know, whatever they were supposed to do in, uh, in the hostel. They were f- have free accommodation. That's another yeah. way.
1: I have a friend who did that for a little while. She said for her, it didn't work because the hostel she went to took full advantage of her from it. So I think as long as you find a good hostel that doesn't, you know, make you work eight hours a day just in exchange for a room, especially because they're usually the shared rooms as well. So it's not like you get a private room. Um, So she, she worked for a hostel. I think she did eight hours as a training shift that they didn't pay her for. And then they wanted her to work, I think it was 30 hours a week, just to have a bed in a 10-bed 10 10 shared room. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so for her, she, was, she just was like, no, that's just slave labor, pretty much. Like 30 hours a week, you definitely earn more than what you would pay. Um, I have heard a lot of success stories, and people have said they've loved it. They've met lots of travelers through it, because obviously there's always that rotation of people coming through. And I think it's just personal preference. I think if I was younger, I would have loved it because it's always, you know, people meeting people. But now I'm getting a little bit older. I kind of like my privacy a bit more. Like I don't mind a hostel for a couple of nights, but I think every week or two, I like to have my own room to just sort of refresh myself, not have to worry about sharing a shower with six other people and just being able to get a good night's sleep. I just feel like I'm getting old. I'm always thinking about a good night's sleep. Um... So yeah, I think when I was younger, I would have I would have fully enjoyed that. But now I'm just I'm a bit more bit more into my own space, my own my own time.
0: Yeah, I think for me the biggest challenge to living in a hostel, which I did for probably two months when I moved to New Zealand, because I was looking for a job, I was looking for a place to stay, so it was just easier to stay in a hostel. Yeah. Um, the problem, the main thing was um, not really privacy. I mean, you, you deal with it, you deal with the privacy for me it was not being able to empty your, your suitcase. All your clothes are in a suitcase. You just yeah. wash them and put, put it back in a suitcase. You take them out, they're all like a ripple and you just, you can't, I think a wardrobe probably was the main thing that was, was missing more than anything.
1: Yeah, it is, it is a bit much when you're just scrambling through the suitcase. And um, I think as well, I don't know whether different for guys, so I've stayed a lot in female-only domes and it just becomes a bit of a like sort of bomb site because you have like usually six or eight girls and it'll always be like there's always makeup, there's always hair stuff, clothes. So it just sort of becomes like you'll start here and it just spreads and spreads and spreads. Um, so I've got to the point I've started doing shared shared sex dorms and they're usually so much cleaner because <laughs> I think it's just six to eight girls. And um, yeah, it just spreads out because. We like our clothes. We like our makeup. But yeah, I found the sheer sex dorms usually are just a bit more, bit more nicer because men, I find, they are just very in and out. They don't, they don't just spread their stuff anywhere. And some of the best experiences I've had, actually, are being in shared sex dorms. Um, so, yeah, I, lo- I love having a mixed one. But I know some, some women and girls feel safer just in a, in a same sex. But I love a mix, mixed room. It's just yeah. Some of my best experiences have come from
0: that. Yeah, you meet so many people and from all over the place. I remember the, especially coming from me. For me, coming from Italy, that I never speak for anybody really outside of Italy or like outside of my own town, my region. It was just a forest if somebody was coming from a different region. So for me, like sitting at the table with people from South Africa, people from India, people from uh, the, US, the, the US, even though I couldn't understand a word of what they were saying, but it was cool because I, I couldn't understand where they were from. So it was like, oh, I'm sitting at the table with somebody from South Africa.
1: That's, yeah. that's so cool. You just, you just make friends around the world, which is being great. And now as I've been traveling, I've been able to like meet up with these people that I've met like I met a lot of Australians when I was in Europe so when I lived in Australia I got to go around to meet like catch up with them after four or five years I've got some friends that live on Vancouver Island that I met in China so I'm excited to go see them it's just nice to have those little people around that you can just be like hey I'm coming to your country show me around show me the good stuff um so yeah I think it's just great sort of networking as well from traveling You just meet so many people and you
0: connect and it's just so much fun. Oh yeah, t- totally. I mean, going back in for me when I went to Japan, I, luckily I knew somebody in Japan, somebody from, yeah. from Osaka, which I met in New Zealand in an English school. It wasn't for air, I couldn't even book. I I, I probably I could have booked an accommodation, but would it be just a hotel on bookie.com or whatever? Yeah. It wouldn't be like a full experience that I actually had. It, was, it wasn't for air, I couldn't stay in the place where I, where I stayed. It was just so much easier because it was so difficult to find and Google things in Japanese where you're trying to search in, cha- in English. It doesn't, Nothing shows up.
1: Yeah, it's a bit difficult when you're trying that one. Um, yeah, it's always good to have that sort of person who can bridge that gap that you have and help you out a little bit.
0: Yeah, not totally, totally. And okay, so you were in Australia traveling around. Uh, why did you leave Australia and decide to go to, to Canada?
1: Um, so originally I was thinking about doing the farm work. So with the one year visa, you have to do three months agriculture to get a second year. Um, but my Canadian visa actually got approved four or five days after me entering Australia. So I only had the one year to be able to enter Canada to activate it. So it just meant that I could only do the one year in Australia and I'd heard a lot of up and down stories about farm work. And I just remember thinking, I didn't want to put myself through the three months of possibly horrific dust. Even though I've heard great stories, I wasn't totally sold. So I didn't want to do the three months working when I could do three months doing stuff I want and traveling. Just in case I didn't reuse the second year, I just didn't want to waste my three months. Um, so I just thought, I'm just going to do a year in Australia of things I wanted to do, take those memories away. And then if there's something else in Australia I wanted to do, I can just go back as a vi- visitor and take any little boxes off where I just made it. I'm going to do the things I want to do. And then Canada was just the next step, just because it was kind of bad timing with the visa approval. But um, it's fine. I'm here now and I'm loving it. So
0: Okay, but hold on a second. Because you said when you went to China, you applied for the visa in Australia just to have like a plan B. Yeah. Now you're saying that when you went to, to Australia, you got your visa approved for Canada. How so? How many visa did you apply for?
1: <laughs> yeah, so I applied for because um, I don't know what it was like for Italy, but with the UK, um sometimes the Canadian visa process isn't the simplest because there's usually more people applying than visas available. Um, so I've been like I've been thinking about moving to Canada for a few years. So I've been keeping my eye on the process, and I remember a few years ago. It was a case of like first come, first serve for visas for the UK. So they would they would announce that, say, next week, the visas were going to become available. And then the day before, they would announce that it's going to be Wednesday at 9 a.m. And you had to be there ready with your documents to go. And I remember like for a few years, all the visas went within a few minutes of being available. Um, so the year I applied, it was a case of you put yourself into the pool and then you could or could not be invited to apply. It was all very hit and miss. So I know people that have entered the pools two, three years in a row and never got invited to apply for their visas. Um, So they always say just to go in because you're not definite. It's not a definite to get it anyway. Um, So I was in the pool and I wasn't expected to get invited because I know there were thousands of people who were in it before me. And then I think the pools opened in November and I got invited to apply in the January. And I think then you can turn it down, but then it's not definite that you're going to get invited again. So I was kind of like, well, I didn't want to miss my chance. Uh, So I was like, well, you know what? I'm super flexible about my travel. So I applied. I did my application, see how it went. And then I think it was like February 23rd or 24th is when they approved it. So I was like, okay. instead of being in Australia for two years, I'll do Australia for one year and then I'll move to Canada. and then. Because originally I was going to do Australia and New Zealand common sense, in the same area. Um, but now it's going to be a case of having to do Canada and then make my way back around to New Zealand to do a year or two there.
0: Okay, so you're not planning to stay in Canada. You're planning to keep going and, uh, and try more um, countries? I'm kind,
1: of, I'm kind of seeing how it goes. Like I've looked at PR, um, but it's just trying to get the relevant amount of points and all that kind of stuff. So I'm kind of I like to keep my options open because I don't want it to be, this is the plan. I'm very much, this is my plan. But, you know, if stuff comes up, like if something come up and I could get PR in Canada, I'd probably go for it because I do like it here. Um, but looking at the process, especially because I was speaking to someone the other day and they said, obviously, you have to get your 10 years work history and travel history and you have to know everything. And I'm like, China is not going to be easy to get that information from. Um, and I've been to so many different places now. It's kind of, when I looked into it as a practicality for me, I was like, it's not going to be the easiest. Um, and then I looked at the point system. And I don't actually have enough points anyway at the moment until I got a better job to boost myself up. Um, so I was going to see in a year, see where I stand in a year's time and then go from there. But I didn't want it to just be, that was my goal. Because if I can't get it, then I didn't want to be... Heartbroken. So my, I was like, well, that's one goal, but then I also have this option and this option. You know, I don't want to just be set on one thing. And if that goes wrong, lose out on any other opportunities.
0: Yeah, no, fair enough.
1: So yeah, I just, I'm open to everything.
0: And then how long is your visa for in, in Canada? In,
1: in Canada, it's two years. So I got till February 2022.
0: Oh, okay. So you got plenty of time yeah, to make your mind. Plenty
1: of time to figure stuff out and see what happens.
0: Yeah, because going back for what you said about um, the application, the, the documents you need from other countries, if I remember correctly, they asked me, because I applied for the PR as well, not like a, a year ago, and they asked me, I think they, they did ask me for um, police documents, police certificates for countries that I lived in for more than six months or something like that. Yeah. If it was, maybe if it was even less than that because I had to apply for police certificates in Italy and I haven't lived in Italy for more than six months for seven years now. So I don't remember exactly. So,
1: Yeah, they very much want to know exactly where you were and when. And I, Sometimes I can't really remember because, as I said, when I had three days off, I'd be in different countries and I, got, I was always traveling. So sometimes I just can't remember like, where I've been exactly. Um, so I'm just going to see how it goes. <laughs> I've kind of got it there in the back of my mind. As I said, when well, my points are not high enough anyway at the moment, so it's not really something for me to worry about or think about because at the moment it's not feasible. But I'm gonna give it a year and see where I stand then and go from there, really.
0: Yeah, I mean there's more other more country to to visit.
1: Yeah, and I kind of don't want to just choose to stay in one and then always be like, mm, but I wanna go, I wanna go, I wanna go. I was like, I need to, I've got like a couple of years left to hit the Age limit of visas, so I'm like, I need to do them. I need to do it all now while I can, and then when I've hit 31 and I can no longer get the visas, that's when I can figure out what I want to do long term.
0: Yeah, there's not many countries that give you a working working holiday visa or work visa like that in uh, over 30 over 30 years old.
1: I know. Some countries that...
0: like Canada, you can have 35. That's why the I applied. When UK is
1: 31. Um, I think if it's Ireland, some countries have 35. I know Ireland can have up to 35. but UK, again, is 31 because it's reciprocal. Um, okay. So I think all the UK ones, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the ones I looked at, all the UK ones were 31. So um, I've only got a few years left to get around and do, my, do this thing before then I have to think about what am I going to do my actual long term.
0: So your idea is, uh, is not to go going back to the UK. It's going to no. Find there's a nothing
1: place. in me at the moment that wants to go back. Especially like looking at the news and the what's going on. I kind of try to ignore it and think it's not happening.
0: And going back from the, the time when you when you left, uh, um, from like a, from a scale of one to ten, how difficult was it to make the decision to to leave your country?
1: Um, for me, it was super easy. Looking at like a one or two is so easy for me because I I knew it's what I wanted to do. Once I, like I'd been thinking about it for a few years, but I always kind of put it off, made up excuses. Like I had a good job or, you know, friends, family. But then when I made the decision, I was like, I'm going. I just remember being like, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. There was no doubt in my mind once I, you know, applied for visas and everything. I was just 100% certain that was what I was meant to be doing. So for me, it was the easiest decision I probably made.
0: Okay. It probably was easier even because uh, at least the first and the second time you left, you already have a place to go, a job to, yes. to go so to, right?
1: That did make it a bit easier. Although first stop being in China probably wasn't the easiest decision. Um, but yeah, it does make it that slight bit easier knowing that you've got a base, a base to go to and figure stuff out. Um, so, yeah, but then, yeah, it just, t- it just takes that little bit of stress away knowing there's something. But then coming to Canada, I, well, Canada, I did have the same kind of thing. I had a job set up, but due to our lovely, a lovely little virus, that kind of got ruined. Uh, so I kind of had to just figure it out as I go along. But um, my best friend at home, she says, no matter what, I've always been someone that if something goes wrong, I just figure it out. I never, I'll have a day where I'm like, oh, God, what am I going to do? But I'm always one that's like, right, okay, there's always, there's always ways to fix things. There's always ways to, you know, do what you want to do. And she's always said that no matter what happens, I'm always someone that ends up where I'm meant to be, figuring it out. So I'm always pretty confident that no matter what happens or where I go, that I'm, I'm going to end up doing something that works for me.
0: And what was your plan when you went to Canada? You said you already um, did something... Uh, yeah. Job. So
1: I had a job um, arranged over in Nova Scotia. So it's going to be working in um, a wilderness retreat, which I was super excited about. And I was like, I was ready to go. I had my flight and everything over to Nova Scotia. I was good to go. And then um, obviously, because it's working in the tourism sector, um, it got hit pretty hard with the virus and everything. So um, they ended up having to just open with a smaller team of people that worked there year round. Which I fully understood because, you know, I also didn't want to go and have an experience that wasn't what I was expecting because of less people, etc. Um, so instead of moving over there, I ended up staying in Vancouver, got a new job, and um, which has been really nice. So instead of just being here for two months, a quick stop, started to build up a good little friendship group, got a new job. Um, so, yeah, it's a different experience for me because usually... I don't stay in places longer than six months just because I do want to get around and see stuff. Um, So it's going to be different for me because I'm getting up to my six-month mark now. So I'm like, oh, usually I'd be moving on, but now I'm just starting a new job and I'm like settling. So it's the first sort of time in two years that I'm, you know, putting some little roots down somewhere. So I'm still figuring that out as I go along. But it's been nice. It's been nice to kind of think, oh, do you know what? I've got got a good little friendship group now. I've got a nice little job. I'm just living an actual settled life for sort of a year now, I think.
0: Sweet, sweet. And yeah. just out of curiosity, how do you find these jobs from overseas?
1: Um, the one I found for Nova Scotia, I've seen advertised in a kind of the Backpackers Facebook group. Okay. Um, so I think there's a gentleman who works there who's from somewhere in Europe. And obviously, the bosses have asked him to just post on there because I think each year they take a couple, like they have a few travelers work there because um, the the resort itself is only open the six months because the winters are too cold. So I think each summer then they just hire some travelers and sort of working holiday visas to fill the little gaps that they have. Um, so I applied for it um, on a whim, thinking I don't have any experience in this kind of thing. My main career back home was finance. I've never worked in resorts or the, it's like a really high end, luxurious place. So I applied like, yeah, we'll see how it goes, you know. And then like 10 days later, they're like, oh, yeah, we want to offer you the job. And I remember I was in Byron Bay at my friend's house and I remember just like screaming and she had this pool and then we like all ran and jumped in the pool. And I was so excited. Uh, so, yeah, it was a bit heartbreaking when I found out because I'd, I'd been looking forward to it for sort of three, four months at this point. Um, But I am hoping, fingers crossed, maybe next year that the opportunity will come up again. Um, So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But um, yeah, it's just taking those hits and being flexible with everything. I think it's made it a bit easier for me. to just sort of be like, okay, that's happened. What can I do to fix it for me? So that's how it went.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you're doing great. If I just find another job, which right now is not easy to do.
1: No, yeah, I think I've been pretty lucky. I've been pretty lucky with it. I know a lot of people have struggled. So I do, I am pretty thankful for that, that I've been able to find something that's helped me. Um, so yeah, I'm very thankful for that situation.
0: Awesome. And, and when you went to China I you went to Seattle, uh, how did you find um, a job there? Uh,
1: my Seattle one, so I went through company, I think I went through, I was not Camp America, but it was a company similar to Camp America. Um, so you set up a profile, you have to pay, you pay a fee, obviously. And then they have hundreds of camps from across America, they can check out your profile, see what skills you have that fits what they need. And um, it was a very quick turnaround for my Seattle one, actually, because um, it was getting to the end of the season, and I hadn't really committed fully. So I think this was the summer camp season starts like June, June time. Mm-hmm. So I had an interview on a Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon with this, this camp in Seattle. And they were like, yes, we want to offer you the job, but we need you to be in Seattle on Friday. So um, this is the first time I'd ever, the longest flight I'd been to had only been to Barcelona. So like two hours. I'd never flown by myself. I didn't even own a suitcase at this point. So I had a sort of 36 hour window. They I had to tell my friends and family, like, oh, Friday morning, I'm flying. Also, because the, the company arranges your flights out, I didn't actually know where I was flying from. Uh, so I couldn't book any trans. I knew it wasn't going to be from Cardiff because we only have a tiny little airport. Um, so I had to wait for them to get my flight sorted so I could arrange transport from Cardiff to whatever airport in London, which a, a coach from Cardiff to the airports is usually five, six hours. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was just a crazy 36 hours. I had to buy a suitcase. I had to. I also had two cats, which I had to pack up and give to my mum to mine for the three months. So it's just a crazy 36 hours of being like goodbyes, buy a suitcase, sort the cats out, pack what I needed because I was like, what do I need? Like, what is Seattle like? Everyone told me it was going to be raining, so I was like, well, do I take like what am I doing? Uh, so yeah, that was super crazy, and then. The Friday afternoon then, um, I arrived into Seattle. So within the space of 48 hours, had my interview, got accepted and flew to Seattle.
0: And how was the process with the visa? Because that's not enough time to get a visa, right?
1: Well, the visa you get beforehand because you get a job offer letter from the camp company. So you get sort of a generic letter saying this person is going to be working at a summer camp. It's just not sure where yet. So I had to go down to London and you go to the embassy and you just have a meeting um, just to sort of explain what you're doing. And then I think it was a J1 work visa that I got. Okay. So that's all arranged beforehand, just because I think the company that arranged the camp, they're pretty certain that you're going to get a job. They're just figuring out where. Oh, okay. So they just sort of give everyone a blanket cover letter sort of thing to get their visa. And then that just covers entry into America, then to whichever camp you go into.
0: Okay. Okay. makes more sense now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I know. I could not think I'd ever be able to do 48 hours to get a visa. That would be, that would be a rush.
0: Yeah. No, exactly. It's, yeah. And, and for China, how did you find a the job there?
1: Um, China, I think it was just through Google searches. So I, um, I think I was just searching like, different ways to work abroad. Because even though I had Australia as my backup. Um, I kind of, it sounds weird, I didn't want to do a generic work in Visa originally. I wanted to do something different. Um, So I was just searching at different ways to work abroad. And then teaching English came up. And I was like, well, I can can speak English. Maybe I can teach it. So I looked at different opportunities. So they're all pretty much like Thailand, Vietnam. And then the one I seen was, I think I seen it through, don't know if you know a company, because I don't think it's over in Canada. It's called STA Travel.
0: No, I don't think i ever heard of it.
1: Really. So it's um it's quite big in sort of Australia and UK. I don't think it's over here. So they have lots of. It's just a travel travel agency, pretty much. But then they have all different options. So they do like group tours and uh, flights. They do everything. It's a lot for student flights. They do like sort of cheaper flights. So they had this internship in China, and I was like, "Oh, what, what's this?" So I looked into it, and um instead of it just being sort of sent over to work in a school, you go over, but you have a company supporting you, which for me, it just felt a bit more, I don't know, a bit more comfortable having people there who knew the process. I had no idea. So um, they help you through everything. They help you get your visa. And then even when you're in China, it gives you that point of contact. If yeah. something went wrong, you had people who were English English speakers, which always a helper. So a lot of the people who worked for the company were from the UK. So it just gave you that point of contact to have. So if they were like, ever if you're feeling down or something stressing you out or something goes wrong, you could get in touch with them. And they have people based in Beijing, but they would send people to wherever you are in China to come and like see what the issue is or just help you out for a few days to get you more comfortable and settle you in. So that was, that's what made me go for that. I was like, it's nice to have. An experience a completely different experience in living in China but still having that sort of ease and ing of that gap to fill with these people that understand as well because they had all done the internship previously they knew any issues or what you could be feeling so they had the first-hand experience to help you through
0: okay yeah that's that sounds like really a big, a big help I mean going there with uh with the support of people that speak the language and uh, Yes. Yeah, having think local support, yeah, that's massive.
1: It is, I've read, I looked a lot into it, and it is pretty easy to just get a job in China, um, but it would just be with the schools that you go to, so you don't have that extra support. And um, so, the two, so I worked in two different schools, and the one school I worked with, the, there was only other one other person at the school that was a Chinese teacher who spoke broken English. So if there was an issue within the school, it's a bit hard to resolve it. And then the second school, there was like four or five people there who spoke English because it was a bigger school. But um, I remember thinking that if you just went over independently, you could easily go to a school with no one that speaks English. And I can just imagine that being very scary because, you know, there are like the first few months were crazy and there was a lot. And I did go through days like, oh, is this the right thing? You know, I'm sad. like well, not sad, but you get a bit lonely, especially when there's no one who speaks English. You have no friends around you. That having the company as that gap to be like, oh, do you know what? This is how I'm feeling. And then you have people who be like, I always felt the same when I done it. You know, we can talk about experience and it just gives you that bit of boost to be like, do you know what? If other people have done it. I can do it. Um, so yeah, they were really, they were super helpful in that aspect.
0: No, exactly. Even I, I try to think about it. I can put myself in a situation that going to a different country where they don't speak my language in teaching that's something that I've never done before. So like I imagine myself standing in this room with people that are not even like I understand what I'm saying and try to do a job that I've never done before. That must be really scary.
1: Yeah, it was, I was pretty lucky because I had a um, kindergarten. So they're just all these little kids who loved you. So I was super lucky. But I know a few people on my internship, they had sort of teenagers. Oh. And I couldn't imagine doing that because like it sounds weird, but when you get... The teenagers. you actually have to teach properly with kindergarten. It's like, let's do colors, red, yellow, pink. And it's super fun and easy. But uh, my friend who was in the same school, but he did the higher grades, he had to do like five lesson plans a day. And they had to be really in-depth. And he ha- actually had to teach. He had to teach. Whereas I could just go in and be like, let's watch some fun little videos. Let's do colors. Let's run around. So I had a pretty easy end of the deal, I think. Um, I couldn't imagine having to go in and teach teach teenagers like, like actual proper, like grammar and all that. That was like, no, I wanted kindergarten. I knew what I wanted and I was super happy with it because they also just love you and they just want to hug you and they just want to be your friend. Whereas teenagers, you know, teenagers across the world, they're all going to be a bit, they're teenagers, they're not bothered, but they're little kindergarten kids, three, four-year-olds you know, just wanting to hug and play. That's all I wanted for my six months. And that's what I got for my six months.
0: <laughs> How can you feel lonely in that environment?
1: <laughs> I know. Some days, like some days I'd feel sad and then i go in and I'd be like, no, I can't be sad because look at these little children, their little faces like light up when they see you and you're like, oh, this is, this is what it is. This is what you want. So um, yeah, that was great. I loved it.
0: Awesome. And... Did they help you to find accommodation as well? Because it's just—I imagine—even like find accommodation in a country where you can't speak the language, you don't even understand the signs—it could be really challenging.
1: Yeah, so I was pretty lucky. So the schools I worked for—they provide accommodation. So the first school I worked for, the accommodation was like a two-three minute walk from the school, and then the second school, the accommodation was on site. Okay. So they were provided, but usually I, I had friends in Beijing, and um. Usually the schools do help you find the accommodation just because it is, obviously, as you said, it's super difficult with the language barriers. But, um, everyone I spoke to, even my friends who, were, who live on Vancouver Island, they were at a school out there. They had help from the school to find their accommodation beforehand um, to make sure it gives you something to settle into rather than stressing about trying to find something. It would be pretty difficult to do it, I imagine.
0: Yeah, no, Totally. Absolutely, I don't know totally. Um, for you, for your experience, uh, do you need much money to to start in traveling, start doing what yeah. you did?
1: Um, you probably do <laughs> to have that cushion. I didn't do so I had a bit saved up. I didn't have too much, um, and I remember I spent the majority in China traveling around. So when I got into Australia, I think I had maybe like less than a thousand pounds. I definitely had less than a thousand pounds when I entered Australia which isn't the best idea because Australia is pretty pricey. Um, I remember in my first, because the first two weeks I stayed in a hostel and that's one thing I don't like about hostels is that like the cooking isn't the easiest because you know, usually you end up eating out. So I remember in my first two weeks I spent a lot on eating out and just doing stuff. And um, yeah, my money ran, it never really ran out, but it dwindled pretty quickly so I would definitely recommend having more of a cushion than I did <laughs> because, you know, what, things can go wrong and unexpected expenses come up. And even just when you're doing stuff, I remember I did a three week travel from Darwin down to Melbourne and there was these two excursions. You could either go on an hot air balloon or a helicopter ride. And I was speaking to the family I lived with and I said, like, I'd love to do both, but they're both pretty pricey. I probably shouldn't. And then they were like, but are you going to have the option again? And I was like, no. So I ended up doing both. <laughs> and then they were, I think they were like $350 each. Oh, wow. <laughs> Pretty pricey. And they were that like, when I think back on my trip, they were some of the best things I did. Like the hot air balloon ride was sunrise over Alice Springs. And then the helicopter was over Uluru. So they are amazing experiences. Um, but it's expensive. Doing things like that are expensive. So I think... If And I've always been, when I travel, I don't like the not do stuff. Just in case, you know, I don't want to leave thinking, oh, I wish I'd done that. Yeah. So I'm very much like, when I travel, I feel like I'm a millionaire and I'm just like, take all my money, it's fine. And then when I get to someone, I stop, I'm like, oh, what have I done? Um, so I definitely recommend <laughs> having more money than me. Um, but I think also my mindset is that you can also... As long as you've got the relic like got a working visa, I feel like you can always make money. There's always ways to find even like a little job part. There's always ways to make the money back. And I'm very much like you know the most the better things to have is memories rather than just all this money saved up. So that's my outlook on things. But I know some people are different and they like to always have a cushion. Um, But I I very rarely do which isn't the best, but, you
0: know, each to their own. Yeah, no, I mean, even depending on on the situation, if you, especially your situation where you had already a job, so you have control over your expenses because if you you want to do the things, you want to go out for dinner, you want to do experience, you want to do um, some some activity or whatever, it's up to you. It's not like you move to a new country where you don't have an income because you have to find a job, you pay to accommodation everything, so you need more accruciation there. And also, uh, as far as I know, even for some certain visa, you need to prove that you have enough money to pay for your accommodation, pay for yourself for at least a few months, which depends from country to country. But at least yes. I think they ask you for, say something like $3,000 or something like that.
1: Yes, I think Australia, you're meant to, like it does say when you have your visa, that you're meant to have so much money when you enter the country. But I think um, it's very hit or miss on whether they check. So I definitely recommend having it because if they do ask you to prove and you don't have it, they can refuse your entry. Um, I was just lucky that I never I never got asked. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely – and I think it is better to have it because even though I had the au pair and job lined up in Australia, they could have easily have cancelled if something come up. Like, you know, people have changes of circumstances, et cetera. Um, So, yeah, it's definitely better to have it. Definitely better to have it. If you can have it, have it 100%. Um, But I think also having the right mindset of what you want to do. If you know you don't have too much money, then probably best not to do the extra things until you've worked a way to have the income for it.
0: But it, it can be done. It can be done even with like a few thousand dollars in your bank account. Yeah, just it
1: can be done as long as you're, I think you've just got to stay positive about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> try not to worry too much about it, which I know some people, it can be a forefront of their mind. But for me, I try not to worry too much about money. Because like I said, I'm always in the mindset that there's a way to make money. There's always jobs available if you can do it. So um, I try not to stress too much about about money on my travels, really.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. And what was the main thing do you think on in your journey on your on your experience? The main thing that helped you going through your um, moving from country to country to find a job to 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 carry on with your, your travel experience.
1: Um, my main thing, I think, I was just always open to any job. Um, I've never been like I won't do anything. If I needed to make money, I would do. I would do anything. Like. So the first three months when I got here, when after I found out about my Nova Scotia job, I ended up just working in the local grocery store, even though it was the middle of the virus and everyone was like, stay inside. I was just like, nope, you know what? I need to make some money. I'm going to do what I need to do. So I think, my, like I always say, just to be open because if you just sort of stop looking at specific jobs, I think you're just sort of putting yourself in a box that can be hard to get out of sometimes. Um, so yeah, I've always been like, and I'm not certain, like, I'm not set on where I go. Like I have a friend in Australia who's from Saskatchewan and she always said to me, she said, if you get super desperate, she could like get me a job there because she has family with farms. And I was just like, that's great. So I have that ultimate, it's like a very backup, 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 because it's like the middle of nowhere. She doesn't recommend it to anyone, (laughs) but you know, if I was, if I really needed money, isn't I, I wouldn't say no. I think anything. Is an opportunity. I think that's how you have to look at it. Like you can meet the best people, have the best time. So I think as long, I think just being open to everything and anything has been my sort of way to get by through stuff.
0: And I'm curious. Uh, do you think you would do the same thing if you were back in uh, in Wales? Would you be open minded for jobs and the way you make money in Wales
1: or? Um, probably not so much because <laughs> I had a pretty decent job. I was making good money. And I, I think if I stayed in Wales, I would have just stayed in that career. I didn't enjoy it, but it was just, it was good money for what I was doing. So I think if I didn't leave, I would have just stayed in this job and just, you know, worked my way through and just had a mediocre, happy career life.
0: Yeah, no, I'm asking you that because I, I think <laughs> what you described that you were, you will do whatever it takes to, to make the money. And I think it's just like a, a common common thing for, for people that immigrate, for people that live overseas because you you adapt to the situation you don't have yeah. high expectations You just do whatever it takes. While if you are... I was exactly the same when I was in Italy. I mean, i would never been in a situation where I have to make money somehow. I, had, I always had a job. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think I would go and clean toilet because I have to pay the rent. You know what I mean? I would just yeah. like... Uh,
1: it's, it's, days, a I, it, it's, it's a weird mindset.
0: It's completely different, isn't it?
1: I think it's also like when you're traveling and you're, you're just on your own. So you have no, like, there's no backup for me. Like if I don't have the money, there's no one there to sort of be like, oh, I can help you out for a little bit. But I think back at home in the, like if I was in Wales and if something come up that put me in a situation, I've got friends and family that if I needed the help, they're there. So I think that's probably the different mindset. Like now I'm I'm just like, okay, I'm on my own. If something goes wrong, there's no one to be like, okay, cool, you can come stay with us if you need it or whatever. So I think it's just that different situation that changes what you think and how you look at situations.
0: Yeah, no, totally. I completely agree with you. And looking back to your your journey, your traveling so far, is there anything you would have done differently?
1: I don't think so because everything I've done, I've always just, I don't know, just followed what I wanted to do. So there's nothing I regret. There's nothing... Um, I wish I changed. I think I've always just been, cause I'm so flexible. If there's something I wanted to do, I've just done it. Um, so no, I don't think there's anything. Maybe I wish I went to Tasmania in Australia because it's meant to be amazing, but I was like, I can always go back. So yeah, I think I'm just so, cause I'm so open. There's nothing I look back on and wish I didn't do it or wish I did do it really.
0: Yeah. No, yeah. It sounds like you did quite a bit. The only yeah. regret would have been going to the air balloon if you didn't do it. <laughs> I
1: know exactly. So I'm glad I did it. We're glad we did it. Yeah,
0: 100%. Awesome. And if anybody wants to get in touch with you, um, asking questions, whatever, uh, is there any way they can uh, get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, definitely. You can reach out to me. Um, I usually use mostly my Instagram as my main sort of social media sort of usage. So if anyone wants to message me or get in touch, um, they're more than welcome to via my Instagram. And um my name on Instagram, let me just check. I always give out the wrong one. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this is it. And then no, it's not. So my Instagram is jessie, which is 121092. It's J-E-S-S-I-E, 121092.
0: It's jessie121092. Okay, I will just write it down in the description below or in the description okay. somewhere. Um, so it, it won't go to the to the wrong account
1: yeah just some <laughs> random person i forget what it i think it's because i always think it's just jess not jesse so i was like oh yeah jess twelve ten ninety two and it's not that one it's definitely jesse <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> it's you show me. up
0: like a dude <laughs>
1: yeah, like mm, that's not me that's <laughs> <definitely> not me
0: <laughs> awesome thanks jess for uh for the time for the interview
1: no worries thanks for having me
0: awesome thanks a lot
1: all right. See ya! Bye.
0: Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. You can find all the links we discussed in the show notes and on our website, aimingrunslife.com. If you like this episode and want to support the show, you can leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. That will make my day and help others find the show. Also, do you want to share your story and get a $20 gift card? Visit aimingrunslife.com slash your story. Thanks again for listening and talk to you in the next one. Ciao